the Sunday Sermons Podcast. Today is the last day in a series called Jesus. It's the longest series that we've ever done here at Morrison Hill, as far as I know. We've just been marinating and percolating in the story, in the character, in the teachings of Jesus. And um, I'm a little sad to see it go. It's been really refreshing for me. I've known Jesus all my life, and uh, I've learned stuff. I hope you guys have. I've remembered a whole lot. Um, I've gotten more excited about a whole lot. But today we're going to wrap up with what Jesus said about the church. How many would say that's probably important? Amen. It's pretty important. Here, here's something I've noticed. That if, whatever churches are different, however they're different, whatever all the different denominations and everything, these days they tend to have some things in common that don't always, Jesus never mentioned about. Almost every church, as soon as possible, as soon as they're planted, as soon as they possibly can, they try to get a building, right? And, and, and there's, there's several other things like that that Jesus himself just never, never said. And it doesn't make them right or wrong. It's just, I, I think the things that Jesus talked about are probably the most important things that we need to focus on. W- would you agree with me on that? Is that fair? So that's what we're going to look at is, again, one more time, what Jesus himself said about this body of believers that he wanted to create, and also what his first followers looked at, how they understood that and applied that. And we're going to try and take whatever we possibly can out of their example. Here we go back into Matthew chapter 16. Uh, It's a scene that we've looked at several times, even in this one series. Jesus takes his disciples to Caesarea Philippi on his way. He's starting his journey to Jerusalem, the last big journey to Jerusalem before he died and rose and started the whole church. But this is the first time that he uses the Greek word ekklesia, which we translate as church. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? We could, we could just marinate here for a long time. That's always the question that Jesus asks each one of us. That's really what it comes down to. You as an individual, you as any kind of close relationship that you're in, you as a church, us together as a church, us as part of the global body of Christ, who do you say Jesus is? That's what you're going to act on. That's what you're going to do. It's always the question he asks. But of course, Simon Peter answers. And, and Simon Peter, I love this guy. He's, he's so fun. And we, we always joke about him because he's, he, he's, he's just, he's all over the place. How many know somebody like Simon Peter? He's just, he's always the first one to act, say something out loud. He's always the loudest person in the room. Sometimes he's right. Sometimes he's wrong. I told you there'd be a shout out. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Jeff asked me, he says, you got to mention me today. I was like, okay. <laughs> but seriously, uh, Simon Peter's an awesome character. And if you don't know, the day Jesus met him, he gave him that, that nickname. They, they say, hey, this is Simon. He goes, I'm going to call you the rock. And that's really what it means. See, he mostly in Aramaic, he called him Cephas. In Greek, it's Petros, a masculine verb of that, a form of that word. And it literally means a rock, the kind of rock that you can pick up and throw or use to build things. It's a, it's a rock. 
So you might say that his name was, his last name was Bar-Jonah back then because they always were the, their last name was whoever their dad's was and then the son of Bar-something. So his name was Simon Bar-Jonah. Jesus called him the rock. So today at least I'm going to call him Simon the rock Bar-Jonah. Is that okay? Is that, does that work? Okay. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. You are a rock. And on this rock, and that's a totally different word in the original, by the way. It's a, it's a feminine word. It means bedrock. It means the thing that you build stuff on. On this bedrock, I will build my Church, And here it is. This is the first time we see this word. Ecclesia. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will build, Jesus said, I will build this new group I'm building. I will build it on the foundation that I, what you just said is true. That I am the Messiah and I am the son of the living God. And those are huge statements. Because what he's saying is, you are the one the entire Old Testament is about. You are the one that God sent to save us. You're the only one who could save us. The Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, whatever language you want to say that in, Jesus is the only one who could save us. And this was a common thing back then. Rulers would declare themselves to be a God, and their children then were the children of God. All the way back in Pharaoh's day, back in Egypt, he said he was a God. His child was the son of God. And, and, and in Rome, right then and there, the, the Caesars did the same thing. Their ch children were known as the sons or daughters of God. But j listen what Peter is saying here. He says, you are the Messiah and you are the son of the living God. And Jesus says, ding, 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 yes. And that's the foundation of everything I'm about to do here. Are we tracking so far? And if you, if you miss the rest of this series, this has been unmistakable in every single part of Jesus' ministry. Every single part, he has said, it's my way or any other way, but you follow me, it, it, it's complete. I am the ultimate authority here. So why did he choose this word ecclesia? I don't think it had anything to do with buildings. In fact, you might not know this, but the first church building, the first building that was built to be a church was built in Aqaba, Jordan, 260 years after Jesus lived on this earth. So I don't think it had to do with buildings. That was way an afterthought. That was about as long as there's been a thing called the United States of America. Okay? That's a long time. They, they had the church, whatever it was, a long time before buildings became a thing. In fact, we've got a sister congregation in Knoxville that's called The Way, and named after, you'll, you'll see in a second, I, I love this, and they're growing so fast, they still don't have a building. They've been together for almost a year now, they still don't have a building, but they're growing and thriving, and they're good. They met on a farm last week. It's, it's, it's a cool thing. If, in light of everything else Jesus said about what he wanted his people to be, I really like Michael Frost and Alan Hirsch's definition of God's people. He said that we are the sent people of God. 
Does that sound right to you guys based on the stuff we've been through together recently? But again, let's look at this word. The two times that Jesus himself used the word ecclesia, I think it's important that we look at both of those. Because he, what he's telling us is, one, on top of all the other stuff, that what this body needs to do is we unite and we reunite in him. We unite in him in that where we find our unity, the bottom line of everything for all of us has to be that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of the living God. And we can all kind of disagree about a couple different things. We can misunderstand a couple things. We can all understand and really just not even know about certain things. But if we can agree on that and agree to build his kingdom together, somehow or another we've got a chance. Are you with me in this? And that's always it. We unite in Jesus. And then when necessary, we also reunite with Jesus. Let let me talk about that word for just a second. Because there were a bunch of Greek words that meant gathering, family, team, organization. There were a whole bunch of different words. But he chose ekklesia. Let me tell you about the word ekklesia. Uh, etymologically, as in like the study of words, like this prefix came from here and this suffix came from here and so we could blah, blah, blah. Anybody into etymology? Yeah, I thought. There's one. Thank you. Yeah, this is for you. From the, just studying all that kind of stuff, you can get that that word means the called out ones. And that goes really perfectly with all the other stuff that Jesus said. We're a holy nation, a people belonging to God, a people set aside to be priests and, and kings for in, in this world that help others, connect, um, uh, help others connect to Jesus. All of that matters. But the ecclesia was, a, uh, it was already a thing. 300 years earlier, in, um, we'll get to that in a second. It had been around for 300 years. I'll just throw that out there and let's keep going what Jesus said about it. Here's the second time he used the word ecclesia. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that, quote, every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I love this. I've actually referred to this several times even in this series. Matthew 18 is how Jesus taught us to resolve conflict. And where he's quoting here, he's quoting a bunch of places in the Old Testament that said if you're going to resolve a conflict, there needs to be two or three witnesses. Or it doesn't even count as anything. He's quoting that. But he adds something before that. And listen, brothers and sisters, if we did this one thing, even if you didn't believe in Jesus, if you did this one thing, it had solved most of the conflicts in the world before they ever got to be a thing. He says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. If we started with that every single time, it would change so much in your home, in your friendships, in your workplace, in the church, in the nation, everywhere. Whenever we start by talking it up and how lame this other person is and how bad they are and how upset we are and how offended we are, how wrong they are and how right we are, when we start there, it just complicates the whole thing. He continues, though, and here's where we see him use this word. If they refuse to listen, tell it to the church. 
And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, there wasn't anything that looks like what we'd call a church even in existence at all at this point. This is Jesus walking around homeless with a bunch of his friends telling people the bottom line stuff before anybody ever followed it. There's no buildings. There's no religion. There's no ceremonies. There's nothing. There's just Jesus and his followers. So what is this? Why did he use this word? Well, the Ecclesia, 300 years earlier, had been cre- it was an idea that was created in Greece, Athens, Greece. The Ecclesia was a group of people that were equal representatives that helped lead their community. Instead of just the elite in their communities getting all the power, they decided to have a, a group where everybody was invited. And on certain days, everybody could come and everybody could share their ideas and, their, and they would work together for the betterment of their community. And then that became so popular, they outgrew the first place that they were. If they started having to meet in a theater that seated thousands and thousands, you can go back, that is the theater where they met back then in Athens, Greece. And then even after Greece itself was taken over and Rome uh, conquered, and that was the world that Jesus lived in, this idea of ecclesia was still around. What it meant to them in that day was there's a group where everybody can be part of it. How much money you made or who your daddy or mommy was doesn't really matter at all. Anybody can be part of it if you're trying to work together to make the world a better place. But if you want to be part of it, this was the other side of the ecclesia coin, there's some responsibility involved. You don't just get together. You're not just there to enjoy a, a, a program like other things that happened in that theater. If you were part of the ecclesia, you had a job to do. You were accepting responsibility as part of this community. And that idea still remained even in the time of Rome, even though the Greek version of it had gone centuries ago. And this is the word, brothers and sisters, this is the word that Jesus chose to talk about the group he was going to put together. The group that was going to embody all of those things. Again, Michael Frost and Alan Hirsch, I like the way that they uh, just make this as clear as possible. An ecclesia was a gathering of wise community leaders brought together by their common vision for the harmony and well-being of the wider community. And again, it's always a mistake to take one verse or one passage, one idea, one name in the Bible and build your whole theology about that one idea. That's backwards. This idea has to fit into everything else we know about Jesus. Everything else we know about his vision for his people and for life and for eternity. Does that make sense? But in the context of all the other stuff he said, when we gather, say it with me if you would, three words. We gather purposefully. Say it one more time. We gather purposefully. When we gather together, it's not to watch a show. It's not to just be nostalgic and remember some really cool things that Jesus said or somebody else said that we thought was really cool. We get together and getting together, we are taking responsibility. We are celebrating together that everybody's invited, but everybody's invited to accept that Jesus is the Christ the son of the living God, and that we're trying to figure out how to make the world a better place in his name together. We gather purposefully. 
We figure out here somehow every time we get together how we're going to offer healing and forgiveness and really true brand new beginnings to the people around us and to each other. We figure out how we're going to practice relentless and intentional good outside of these walls as well as inside of these walls. We gather with intention. That's why the early church was not known for a long time as Christians or or even the word church. That came later. They were called the way or the followers of the way. In other words, they lived the way that Jesus Christ, who said that he was the way, told them to live. It was a movement. It was something that transcended culture and ideas and empires and everything else. It transcended everything because they, they were all about the things that Jesus was all about. And here's the thing. When we are like that, we are a church. When we're not... I'm not sure what we are, but we're not what Jesus would call a church. And that's why we're constantly having to measure whatever we are at any given moment against that. That is the standard, not what I think is cool, what you think is cool, what you like about this church or that church or this church. Or what, it's not about that. It's about we come back to Jesus' ideals in the example of the early church. Are we tracking so far? This is really serious, heavy stuff, but I I don't want to lose anybody. This is so important that we capture this. Are we good? Can I get a thumbs up or something? Little emojis maybe if you're out there, a little smiley face, thumbs up, do something. Well, this was the idea that Peter presented. And not only that, it was on, on the day of Pentecost, the first big sermon, the first time people met and started what we now know as the church. The day the movement officially started. Peter presents this message, and it was presenting this vision. You can tell because of how they responded. But it also was uh, talking about, hey, God sent the Messiah, and you guys killed him. And everybody just panics. And I love that. We're going to pick up the story right here. I hope this is so familiar to you, and, um, but listen with fresh ears. Here we go. When the people heard this, They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them. And he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Once more, we're going to keep going, but I just need to point this out one more time in case anybody gets confused. Can we save ourselves? Can we get our ticket to heaven without the help of Jesus? No. So that's obviously not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is because of Jesus, now the responsibility is on us. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Son of the living God. But guess who gets to choose whether you follow him or not? You. When he says save yourselves, he's saying cling to Jesus. 
build everything on Jesus, the life and teachings of Jesus. Remember Jesus said, whoever hears my words and builds their life on them is like a wise person who built their house on a firm foundation. That's exactly what he's asking them to do here when he says, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and then they all went home because now they got to go to heaven when they die. Oh, wait, is that what that says? Oh, oh, let's keep going. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's what an ecclesia looks like. That's a Jesus ecclesia. And again, I'm not criticizing anybody. I'm not complimenting anybody. I'm just saying however much we look like that, we win. However much we don't, we don't. There's only a couple of places in the whole New Testament where the word ecclesia is used in the more traditional sense and doesn't mean church. And they all happen in Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19 is a really crazy story. Paul and several others have been doing several mission trips by this point. The church is spreading. There are little ecclesias, almost like franchise ecclesias everywhere. And they all look the same. They all believe the same things. But little by little, they're starting to become a little bit more like what we're thinking about today when we say church. And they get to a place called Ephesus. And Ephesus, everything there is defined by the idolatry there. There's a huge temple to the goddess Artemis. And everybody was making money somehow, some way involved in that. And so they get there. And remember, Ephesus is where there's a big theater. I think there's going to be a picture of that in just a second. But first, let's look at this verse. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. That is the people following Jesus. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. And this guy starts rallying everybody up, and they end up with a huge mob situation. They're protesting. It's, they're screaming. They're yelling. Maybe they had signs. I don't know for sure. But what we know for sure, because it's in the Bible, is they were screaming, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. They're praising their idol. And they're just chanting this over and over. And then they realize, hey, we need to do something. We need to change something. We should be having an ecclesia. We should be having a big town gathering. Everybody's invited. Let's go. So they all go into this theater there in Ephesus. And they all cram in there, and it's just mass chaos. Here's how it's described in Acts 19. The assembly, and that word used in the original is ecclesia. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. After he had said this, 
he dismissed the assembly. That's the end of this story. Those are the places where ecclesia does not mean church. But let's be honest. Doesn't that sound like church sometimes? Haven't we all at some point in our darkest moments been part of a church or been that part of some church where there was confusion and some were shouting one thing and some were shouting another and most of the people didn't even know why they were there? We dare not become that kind of ecclesia, but that's exactly where we go without Jesus. The only difference between that kind of an ecclesia and the kind that Jesus wanted to build is that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of the living God. And that ecclesia is built on that, not on whatever we're all riled up about at the time. Which is why, brothers and sisters, we keep coming back at this church to the foundational things over and over and over again rather than just talking about the topical things. I hope that we always see all the topical things through these same lenses and that we all approach them together. We dare not ignore what's going on in the world. We dare not ignore the issues of the day. But that's not what we're doing. We have to come back to the foundation over and over or we're going to be this kind of an assembly, this kind of an ecclesia instead of the kind that Jesus described. And I want to be that kind. Who else? Who's with me? Who wants to be the kind that Jesus designed? Amen. Again, it's totally different. It's a totally different way of life. Here's in Acts 4, it describes them again. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that all that there, all that were there, I'm sorry, there's a typo, I guess, were no, no, wait a second, let me get that right. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. There it is. Wow, I wish I could read sometimes. Let me read that one more time because this is an important line. Could we go back? That was my fault. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. Notice that God's grace here wasn't just about forgiving sins. His grace was changing everything among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. It's a wonderful, beautiful moment. Didn't take very long for that to get corrupted. The next chapter is the next time we see the word ecclesia used. And it says, great fear seized the whole church, all who heard about these events. Because two people tried to cheat the church and God struck them dead. Ananias and Sapphira, crazy story. Acts chapter 5, if you want to read that one. Uh, it, it happens a couple more times. By eight, Acts chapter 8, it's starting to refer to the global church and the individual churches. Saul approved of their killing him, that's Stephen. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. Saul began to destroy the church, the 
global community of Jesus. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And once again, we see whether they're doing it on purpose or by accident because of the persecution, what makes them the church is they're living out what Jesus told them to do. Because remember, Jesus' last words to them were, go into all the world. Make disciples of all the nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey all of the things that I have commanded. And I will be with you always to the end of the age. Or in Acts 1.8 where he said, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the very ends of the, of the world. So there are so many more things where in the next couple of weeks, we're actually going to be looking at the church, the early church and the church throughout time and what we can learn from all of that. And especially from the rest of God's word, not just what Jesus said about it all. But here's the bottom line this morning. This is where we need to be unified on this. To be the church, to be the sent people of God, to be the people who unite under the idea that Jesus is the Christ and he is the son of the living God. And we base everything on that. In his own words, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And so we base every single part of our lives in response to anything he says. But this is it. Six words. We're going to say this together and I hope you mean it. We work together as Christ's body. Brothers and sisters, this is the most amazing part of the whole story to me. I, 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 it's hard for me to understand that God would become human for a while. It's hard for me to understand how that happened. I've got so many questions, and it's going to take eternity for me to get them all answered. I've got a lot of questions. The thing that blows my mind the much, so much every single time is that he wants us on the team. And that was his plan. His idea of an ecclesia, his idea is that everybody's invited and there's responsibility involved. He did what only he could do to make that possible, but we have to choose to do it. And we have to choose to do it together. It's not a solo sport. It's a team sport. We, say it with me again, we work together as Christ's body. We are the body of Christ. Can you believe that? I mean, I hope you do believe it, but can, can you believe that? We represent God on this planet? We better get it right. And part of that is always going to include not only the habits that we have like getting together to sing or pray or take communion or all the other wonderful things that we do together here. But we also need to start developing habits. And I, I don't mean by habit, I mean things we do all the time. They're daily or they're weekly or they're monthly. They're things that just happen. On They're part of the rhythm. This is how we live. But we need habits that propel us into the world. I'll be sharing some great ideas from Michael Frost in the next couple of weeks about how to do that. Some ideas, some new habits we might try. That some ways to try to bring all of this stuff into 2022 America. And how could we do that? Hopefully at least it'll give you some ideas. Next week at, we have our 
our ministry fair. It's now a biannual one. It's, it's twice a year now because this is becoming part of the rhythm of our church. And I'm asking you not just to try to sign up or kind of sneak by the tables like sometimes happens. I'm asking you to pray this week about where God wants you involved. Not everybody in the church needs to be on the worship team or the communion prep team or the whatever other team. We, that's, we don't need everybody just to expand those teams. But somehow or another, every one of you, please hear me in this. Every single one of you is here for a reason. Every single one of you has the dreams and the, the ideas and the talents and the gifts and the resources and the relationships that you do because God has something for you to do. Maybe we need some more ministries created instead of you join one next week. I'd like you to pray about that. Maybe some of you know about some needs in our community that aren't being met, and you're the one that can help us start meeting them instead of try to add that to the ministry job list of some other existing ministry we already have. But as a church, this is it. Let's, we work together as Christ's body. That means everybody does something. Everybody does something. A couple years ago, my dad accidentally cut off just a little bit of a couple of his fingers. It still messes him up. He, he does really, really great. He just got this much of his body. It still messes him up almost every day. He's had to compensate and learn all different ways to do as well as he does with just that little bit. We need every single one of you guys. Every single one. And when we gather, we gather with responsibility. We gather with purpose. So here we are. We're at the end of this whole Jesus thing. And I just want to remind you one last time. This is what Jesus promised He said, all the other people are thieves. All the other answers, especially the devil, but he said pretty much anybody but him are thieves. They come to steal and kill or destroy. But he says, I have come that you might have life, life to the full. And he described a relationship with the people that would be his people that was like a shepherd and sheep. And he said, my sheep know my voice. They hear me. I lead them out. I take them around. I bring them home. I keep them safe. I'm the gate. I'm the thing that protects them. And I'm the shepherd that leads them. That's why we've been spending so much time just marinating in Jesus himself. Because that's the dream. And that's got to be the foundation. And that's got to be the bedrock that we build everything else on. And if it is, there's so much hope. More hope than there ever could be imagined. And if not, there's no hope at all. Our hope is in Jesus because he is the Messiah. And he is the son of the living God. I don't know how the shepherd's trying to lead you today, but whatever he's telling you, would you walk hard and fast in that direction as we stand and sing together?